0: Namaskar and welcome to another episode of the podcast, the Divine Buzz Diaries. In the Divine Buzz Diaries, if you don't know yet, we analyze global paradigms, we study the changing world order, and we also find how diplomacy, especially, can soothe out most of the world's bruising problems, the conflicts. Hi, I'm Arjun Kavre, and today I'm your host for the Divine Buzz Diaries. this is a bit, I, I might say, off uh, offbeat kind of a podcast because um, today I am going to take help from another uh, great man who goes by the name Ra- Raghav Hell. And um, if you don't know him, he's a journalist and uh, he, has, he has a very great experience. Um, in his book, Super-, Super Economies, America, India, China, and the future of the world, Uh, One of the chapters, or I must say the second chapter is Raring to Go, um, which says a growing concert of democracies. I find this title quite interesting and uh, it is a growing concert of democracies, especially that um, elections, US presidential elections are near. He says the central dynamic of the age of super economies became clear almost immediately. A newly assertive China was determined to test, sometimes clumsily, the boundaries of trade and diplomacy, and it was up to the world's other economic powers to figure out how to respond. Beijing challenged its rivals on everything, from currency to territory, using even small issues to assert its disruptive presence. At the start of the 21st century, this tension emerged sharply in the competition for the rare earth metals, a relatively obscure but highly illustrative example of the shifting global dynamic. Buried in the rocks deep beneath the earth's surface, the 17 elements known as rare earth metals populate the bottom of the periodic table and come in unassuming shades of grey, brown or silver. with tongue-tripping names like even I can't say these names, prosodymium and yttrium. But they are essential to the production of high-tech gadgets we cannot live without, such as this cell phone probably on which you are hearing this podcast, computers, tablets, flat screens, televisions and even cars to name a few, as well as of sophisticated medical and military devices. Though the metals are not actually rare, Large stores are known to exist in China, the US, Australia, Brazil, India, South Africa and Canada. They are typically dispersed in wider areas, making them difficult and expensive at the same time to extract. And because they are often found directly beside radioactive elements like thorium and uranium, separating and refining them can produce dangerous toxic waste, um, which can, uh, you know, harm the human body. Yet, demand for rare earth metals has grown steadily in the recent years, thanks in large part to their role in advancing clean energy technologies such as wind turbines, solar panels and rechargeable batteries. In the heyday of American power from the mid-1960s to the 1980s, the US dominated the production of rare earth metals. Mines in 14 states including California, Alaska Wyoming harvested tons of precious substances for use in rapidly innovating industries like technology, healthcare, and defense. The biggest site was a mine in Mountain Pass, California on the edge of the Mojave Desert, whose rare earth deposits were discovered in 1949. The pit expanded in the 1960s with the advent of color TV, which relied on its stores of Europium to create the red hues. By the late 1980s, Mountain Pass was producing the bulk of the world's rare earth metals, digging up to as much as 20 tons of ore every day. Is 20 tons that more? No, it is 20,000 tons of ore every single day. But then China jumped into the game. In 1986, at the urging of four scientists, Deng Xiaoping, established a new government program to nurture innovation and achieve leapfrog growth and development in key high-tech fields in which China enjoys relative advantages which are essential to the country's economic lifeline and national security. According to the Ministry of Science and Technology, Beijing began cultivating its prodigious deposits of rare earth metals first discovered in 1929. In Bayan Obo, a massive mine on the plains of Inner Mongolia that workers today refer to as Treasure Mountain. In 1992, Deng spurred efforts to capitalize on the coveted natural resource, proclaiming there is oil in the Middle East, there is rare earth in China. Between 1990 and 2000, Chinese production of rare earth metals sowed from 16,000 tons to 73,000 tons every single year. Thanks to lower labor costs and fewer government restrictions, Chinese mines could now extract the metals much more cheaply than their American counterparts. Drawing down market prices one fell from $11,700 a ton in 1992 to $7,430 a ton in constant dollars in 1996. American mines could not compete. China cracked the market just as Washington began tightening environmental and safety concerns and regulations around open-pit mining. A series of leaks at Mountain Pass dumped thousands of gallons of radioactive wastewater into a nearby lake bed, putting an end to chemical processing as the site in 1998. Production at America's once prolific mines began to dwindle. The government Granted millions of acres of public land protection from future mining. By 1999, the US was importing 90% of its rare earth metals. One by one, its rare earth operations shut down. The last one standing, Mountain Pass, was closed in 1992. I find this story to be quite interesting that you are producing, a country produces rare earth metals quite on its own and is dependent on itself, but as a result, as it moves forward and it regulates it, it has to import more than 90% of what it could uh, produce by itself. Quite fascinating in one sense. Overnight it seemed China had cornered the market, supplying more than 90% of the world's rare earths, even though it sat on over a third of the global reserves. But Beijing was not content simply to feed the world's addiction," wrote Matthew McClear in Canadian Business Magazine. It wanted to control the global flow of rare earths and all the products that relied on them. So, it levied heavy export taxes on the metals and in 2006 20- began limiting exports of rare earths together, citing mounting environmental concerns and the growing need Of its own manufacturers. It was a clear sign of Beijing's increasing assertiveness as a major economic power and of America's weakened position. Even as the global market for rare earths soared 8 to 11 percent a year from 2000 to 2010, according to the WTO estimates, China steadily stashed its exports from nearly 62,000 tons in 2006 to roughly half that by 2010, the quotas sent prices soaring and raised fears of widespread shortages. Dysporium, for instance a rare earth metal used in lasers which fittingly means hard to get in Latin, shot from $15 per kilo in 2003 to $150 in 2009. That year, China accounted for 97% of the rare earths produced worldwide. 1,29,000 of the 1,32,000 tons but exported less than 50% of its entire output. I guess this shows what China was thinking. It wanted to limit the um, export of these rare earth metals uh, assuming that these are uh, less in numbers as simply told that it was not really interested in feeding the world's addiction of these rare earth metals. This is something that teaches us the policy flexibility of China. This was about the rare earth metals producing from China and um, exporting to the entire globe. We'll understand more about this in our next podcast episode. Until then, bye-bye and take care.